The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 79 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 19th of May, 2021. From the mobile Aviator Sound Studios, high atop the seventh floor of the Doubletree Hotel in downtown Charlotte, North Carolina. On today's episode of the Squawk Ident podcast, Rob D and I discuss a few topics that have often been misunderstood. We explore a recent event aboard one of Aviator Tony's very own flights that escalated to a security threat response that caused the aircraft to return back to the gate. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about noise abatement procedures and much more. But before we complete our pre-flight for episode 79, I would like to take a moment to express our many thanks to Andy Lucia for joining us on episode 78 of the Squawk Ident podcast entitled, The 10% Are Always Looking Ahead. We enjoyed exploring Andy's journey in aviation and his philosophies on creating a successful career in aviation. Thanks again, Andy, and we look forward to having you on the show again real soon. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 79 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. To help me kick off today's show is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently a 737 pilot for now. For Legacy Airlines, the name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his man cave studio in Flower Mound, Texas, help us in welcoming back to the show our very own Rob D. Rob, how the heck are you? What's that? Hey, it's good to be back, Tony. How the hell are you doing, man? Uh, you know, I- I'm doing pretty good. Uh... It's been a crazy, crazy week uh, this week, you know. Uh, I know you and I have kind of had some discussions about (laughs) what I've been through (laughs) and what you've been through and some of the excitement coming your way. Tell me, what what have you been up to? I know you had your final volleyball tournament for the season. (laughs) That was a big deal and pretty exciting to hear. Yeah, for all our listeners who've been uh, listening to the podcast, you you're probably ve- well aware that um, my daughters are into club volleyball, and we travel a lot. And last weekend was our final tournament of the season. We all traveled to Las Vegas and uh, played the uh, national qualifier. 
unfortunately, our girls uh, didn't qualify for the nationals, but uh, they played really well and it was really fun to watch them mature and grow and get better and stronger in the sport. And, uh, you know, all the camaraderie and the friendship that a team builds is just awesome to see all that. And the parents were awesome too. Great hanging out with them, especially in Vegas. Uh, but the cool thing was I got to ride in the jump seat both ways um, on the Airbus. Uh-huh. Uh, which is something I don't get to do very often because I don't commute and uh, I rarely uh, non-rev. So uh, it's great because uh, I'm getting ready to transition over to the Airbus. So I'm going to be joining you Wait. on, the, uh, on the, the bus. Yep. And become a bus driver. <laughs> I know. I got to make the jump, man. Not another I bus leave. driver. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm coming over to the, uh, the I don't know. You wouldn't call it the dark side, but the uh, the, the the more relaxing side. I would <laughs> I would think because the uh, I prefer seven... to say it's the civilized part of aviation. <laughs> the civilized, yeah. I got to learn how to speak French now and and uh, <laughs> understand how these designers design this Airbus. But it's been going through some of the manuals already, and it looks uh, it's pretty interesting. Wow, you're getting ahead on the uh, on the studying. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, I've heard you've got a good resource somewhere out there. I don't know somebody that you might know that might know a thing or two (laughs) about the bus. Yeah, there's just saying I'm surrounded by bus drivers. I got you. I got my neighbor down the street. I've got a couple other friends that fly the bus. So I've got a couple of resources I can tap into. And my neighbor, since he flies a bus, I told him, hey, man, I'm going to come over with a case of soda because he doesn't drink beer. (laughs) And uh you're going to gouge me up and go through some profiles with me and yeah. uh, give me some, you know, the inside scoop on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's great to have those resources because, you know, the, the, the computer-based training that they have available to you prior to going for your long-term training um, is actually pretty, pretty intensive. There's so many resources. I mean, just the uh, yeah. FMS trainer alone, you can actually perform an entire flight uh, with the simulation yeah. of a, with the trainer. And it's, it's actually a great mm-hmm. way to learn the, the FMGC or the box. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, you, you'll have plenty of, of resources provided by the company and ha- and at the same time, you'll have, uh, all the, your friends and neighbors that can help you out with all the little techniques that maybe yeah. are not displayed in there. So yeah, congratulations, cool. man. I'm, I'm so Thanks. happy to hear that when you told me that you were coming over to the, <laughs> to the, our side of the, uh, operation. Uh, not yeah. that there's a side, but you know, we just like yeah. to poke fun, you know, how many times have I gotten on a hotel van with another crew, maybe a, a seven, three crew and they go, well, if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. I'm not going. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and there's a lot of people out there that really, really believe that, <laughs> you know, it's a lot yeah. of pilots, but, uh, yeah. anyway, my favorite they, is they I saw don't... a photo recently of, uh, of a captain who was in a Airbus, a 320 operating the flight and on his old school kit bag, he still had the sticker. If it ain't Boeing, I'm not going. And people are like, oh, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> dude i think you should take that off ridicule yeah. hello yeah. <laughs> party of one <laughs> a little old school yeah yeah so good so you've been you've been uh having a good time with uh, traveling you were in vegas for your uh, yep. volleyball finals and you've been flying as well anything happened on your last trip that was uh, interesting 
Yeah, so the last episode, that was uh, 78, we recorded. I was in Guadalajara, Mexico, Mm -hmm. and uh, that was also the time when Dallas experienced a round of thunderstorms, so there was a lot of delays and many cancellations, and um, coincidentally, I was ended up canceled in Guadalajara for my next day's flight, so I ended up spending uh, two nights, three days in Guadalajara, uh, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I got to get out and explore the city, which is really beautiful. Never been to Guadalajara. Um, It has uh, some really nice, uh, I guess you'd call it touristy areas, but um, just a lot of restaurants and shops and a lot of history, you know, with the churches and, 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 you know, all the, you know, way, way older than any U.S. city and uh, I'm city in the United States. So it's just really, really beautiful to be down there and the culture. And of course the food and the margaritas and the tacos and the uh, carne asada. I mean, all that stuff is just fantastic. Yeah. And, and very, very, uh, you know, what would you call it? Inexpensive, you know, $10 for a full meal with drinks. Yeah. Not only is the exchange rate, uh, pretty good, but things are relatively inexpensive. You know, it's, it's very enjoyable. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, it's easy and, to get around the city with Ubers and all that stuff. Uh, we, you know, we traveled in two Uber. I mean, usually everybody, you know, comp, compact cars and, and, and economy cars are, are the norm out there. So, you know, they show up in a little Toyota Corolla. So five of us cram into one car and the other, you know, seven people or five or six cram into another car. So uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty tight quarters when you're traveling. But yeah, uh, once you get there, it's awesome. You walk everywhere and it's just great to be around everybody. You know, and that leads me to my next uh, question I was going to ask you. You know, Did you venture out on your own or with your captain? It sounds like you went with your entire flight crew. Yeah, we did. So for, for lunch, it was just me and the captain because at the time, we, we, lunchtime, we weren't sure what our schedule was going to look like because of, because of the delays. It was actually a rolling delay, which is uh, for in layman's term, a rolling delay is just basically they, they keep pushing the time of our departure back further further and further and and the reason for that was the plane hadn't even taken off from dallas yet mm. so um the, the inbound flight was was stuck in dallas they couldn't get to, to guadalajara so um we had a rolling delay and so me and the captain decided to go out uh, just to the restaurant nearby the hotel to get some uh, lunch tacos so we did that and um after lunch you know we kept tracking our our departure and uh come to find out it got delayed so far that we ran out of duty day and um we decided to get together with the flight attendants who we were going to fly back with um the next or who were scheduled to fly back with so we got together with the flight attendants and decided to go downtown and and go explore a little bit and get some dinner and so um we all you know got into those ubers and and went downtown which is great because we rarely get to do that and that was probably some of the uh, uh probably the majority of the com- conversation that we all had at the dinner table and everything is that you know we we rarely get to enjoy an overnight as a as a crew because of the way the company schedules it's uh it's it's you know overnight so to take this opportunity it was you know very rare and we got to enjoy everybody's company and hear all the different stories. And it's really great talking to flight attendants, too, because, you know, they really they get to fly all the different airplanes that we have. They get to go all over the world 
uh, where, you know, if you're, you and I, you know, we, we're just on the Airbus or the 737, you know, we have our routes that we fly. And, you know, once you've been to all the hot spots, you know, you've been there, done that. Right. So, you know, you don't get to go to all the other places that the company gets to go to. So it's really cool listening to them and hearing all the stories and, you know, how they can relate, you know, their experiences with what we're experiencing now. And it was just awesome. Great yeah. group of, uh, of flight attendants and, you know, it's just an all around a great time. Yeah. I'm glad you got a chance to experience that. I mean, we've talked about this many times and even here on the show is that, uh, you know, there was a time, a golden age of aviation yes. where, you know, the crew flew together, you know, had a great time. They would party at these wonderful resort hotels and, and out by the pool and having all these, you yeah. know, adult beverages and great meals. And, mm-hmm. and those days are, I wouldn't say they're over, but they're few and far between. And, and they now are. with the FAR 117 that changed the rest requirements for the flight crew, but it, but the flight attendants are still under part 121 rest requirements. So a lot of times, especially at a mainline carrier, your your cabin crew is completely separate on a different schedule than the flight crew. So if you do three flights in a day, it's going to be more than likely with a different flight attendant crew every single leg. And That's then right. if you're going on a, a layover or an overnight uh, at the destination, most of the time, even if you're both staying there the night, they're going to one hotel. That's usually a short hotel. And you as a, the flight crew are going to a separate hotel. So even if you're on the same layover, sometimes even for the same amount of duration, you, you yep. never really get the chance to all hang out as a crew and, and get to talk about your families and, and what your interests are. And so that, that rare occasion now that happens where you actually get to go out together in a group of more than two or three that's a pretty rare moment. It is. It really is. Yeah. So we enjoyed it. And, um, the next day, you know, we all had that kind of an early show for uh, departure and, you know, you could see everybody's just engaging, you know, in conversation with one another, which is kind of rare too, because, you know, you really don't know the other person, uh, on a normal, on a normal flight, because, you know, you just met them 30 seconds ago, right. but because we had a little bonding ex- bonding, uh, at, over the dinner, uh, you know, it was nice to be able to just socialize and talk and chat and, uh, you know, just be people. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, that's one thing that, you know, you kind of sparked a memory for me. Uh, you know, and I learned this early on in my professional career, not, sh- not in aviation, but my previous career in, in retail and in leadership. Um, when you have those bonding experiences with your employee group, that camaraderie, that barrier that is dropped because you now kind of feel like you know the other person a little bit and you don't all have to like be kumbaya and in love with each other. But the fact that you've had some kind of personal bonding and, and a, a moment in time where you kind of get an idea or a sense that you get to know the other person you're happier at work. You sure. communicate better. The yeah. the barriers of communication are dropped. And what that yeah. translates into is better customer service because now, you know, the, the, the little things kind of bounce off of you. 
especially yeah. for flight attendants. Um, yeah. And that's such a rare occasion where the, that cockpit door is more than just a security door. It is really a barrier. Uh, you know, yes. you keep those pilots in there, keep them in their pen, you know, <laughs> don't let them. And, yeah. But once you've had that experience now, it's like, Hey, can I get you anything? I'll check on your car. Yeah. And now if there's something going on in the back, you know, there's a little bit, an easier time of getting yeah. the word out and getting that communication and, and, and really going the extra mile, not just for each other, but for your passengers as well. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah Cause I mean, I, I, I've seen it. Um, or you hear it, you know, cause like when you first meet, you know, hi, I'm first officer, you know, they, you see your stripes, three stripes or whatever, you know, it's first officer Rob Jesus, and it's captain, captain John Erickson or something like that. And, and then, you know, that's kind of the one and only time you're really going to get the names of the, of the people. Then after that, it's the number one, the number three, the number four, or it's captain yeah. or the first officer. And, you know, after you have a bonding experience like that, then, you know, really quickly it becomes hey let's see if uh what what rob's doing or what rob needs or hey let's see what what john needs or let's see what susan needs in the back or or patty or or right. or rick you know so you start using first names and and um it becomes more personable and um i think you respond a lot more uh human humanely or appropriately and um yeah it just goes a long way the human factors point of view is just totally different dynamic when you're on a first name basis and instead of titles and stuff like that so exactly yeah it just makes the whole trip more memorable and you know out of the year yep. you look back you probably if you're like me remember maybe a half a dozen particular trips and every single time That's it's right. either something crazy happened or yeah. you had this one of these bonding experience and you go, man, exactly. best layover ever, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, when when those moments arise, I highly encourage all of those aviators out there that, you know, if you can and, and the opportunity comes up, definitely hang out with your crew. At least sure. give it a moment uh, because you never know. You might meet somebody interesting enough to to develop a friendship. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So what uh, what we were going to talk about this this uh, episode was some interesting things. And I had a bit of an experience myself last week. I've been flying quite a bit. Uh, it kind of did it to myself. I had to move some days around, so I ended up with a five days uh, sequence last week, and it ended with a um, red eye coming back from Lahui to Los Angeles that was one of the more scarier moments uh five minutes after pushing out of the gate starting both engines running through a checklist we're going through our flows because it was a relatively short taxi it was a closed tower airport so it, you know we're after doing common traffic advisories uh it was a, a maximum takeoff performance on the airbus which we're going to get into a little bit later in the show so it was it was a pretty stressful situation that happened and we're going to detail that a little bit later um okay. but uh yeah that trip and then i had one day off which was day before yesterday and then yesterday morning early i had a trip and i'm in the middle of it right now here we are from the beautiful double tree hotel in downtown charlotte um i wasn't even supposed, supposed to be, be here, here today. today i'm not even supposed to be here today 
<laughs> fact remains, I, my original trip, it's another five day trip, a lot very similar to the last one. But on this one, I was supposed to fly L.A., Dallas, Dallas, Puerto Rico last night. And uh, before we even pushed off the gate, Captain looked at me and goes, I don't think we're going to go to Dallas. He goes, I don't think we're going to make it because look at the, look at this weather. <laughs> and we're watching the radar and looking at the TAF. And, you know, we had one alternate. And then before we even pushed off the gate, here we have a revision to our flight plan and dispatcher calls and goes, I'm giving you more fuel and a second alternate. <laughs> and we're like, oh, this is not looking good. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we kind of talked about it and then we got a edict an estimated departure clearance time prior mm. to even being completed with the boarding process of an hour past our departure time. Wow. So he looks at me, the captain looks at me, and and uh, Greg is, is, is just awesome guy. I've flown with him many times. Um, hopefully we can get him on the show because he has a very interesting background. Just a side note, he does horseback archery professionally, and he's oh, amazing. Amazing. The photos that he does uh, or cool. has uh, with him, uh, just, you know, standing on the back of a horse <laughs> bow and an arrow and no hitting these targets wow. while the horse is moving it's well, it sounds like braveheart <laughs> that's exactly you know <laughs> that's exactly what it is i mean he is uh, amazing and, and he's giving me some advice on on some archery equipment uh cool. that i have um and that i intend oh, yeah. to, to get in the future but anyway nice. so i'm flying with greg and and he's like yeah man this is not looking good he goes but what do you want to do do you want to just wait here or shall we push off the gate and maybe they're going to lift this i think because the storms are kind of moving pretty fast i think they might lift it and might get out here earlier i'm like dude let's push off the gate let's find a place shut down the engines and we can at least kind of keep an eye on it monitor it and if they say go now we don't have to wait 30 minutes to board an aircraft and then they'll end up you know canceling that uh, clearance so it's better to be ready i think and he's like yeah i agree absolutely so that's what we that's what we decided to do we we had a little huddle with the the station operations director and the gate agent and the flight attendants and we all agreed so we were getting ready to go and then we got another message from dispatch going up oh, your edict was moved up it's now in 20 minutes and i said will you be ready he's like yeah we're all done boarding let's go so we ended up taking off on time and cool. in route the same thing we're looking at our apps we're checking our our radar uh from wsi we're checking our radar off of jepson as well kind of mm -hmm. correlating all the information and of course we got a a, a reroute a rerouting rerouting <laughs> so we got a reroute and and then we got a hold <laughs> so we're an hour oh, and a half boy. into the flight we got a hold so here we are we're holding and of course you know how much pilots love to hold especially when you're uh, at thirty-five thousand feet and you're, you're like oh where are we yep. gonna hold uh, hold that's published I'm like wait where, where's the chart how do we do this what standard is it left or is it right <laughs> well most people are right-handed so right is standard that's the way i remember it the captain's like i've never heard that <laughs> so we're holding and then of course now they're giving us oh okay well, they opened it up they're letting me bring some people in so here's your reroute okay now the reroute was doing like a fish hook going north of dallas coming southbound on the east side of dallas and hooking over to land on the east complex because the weather yeah. was approaching from the west we never made that uh <laughs> we got another holding <laughs> and then we were holding in the <laughs> stack i think it was at twenty-seven thousand feet about 100 miles away and they were asking us you know like hey you know if, if we give you this arrival how does that look well let's take a look and and they're like well i can give you a heading and you can kind of get a look at it and 
and Greg looked at me, Captain Greg said, no, let's, let's just do one more turn in the hold. And as we come around, we'll kind of compare the radar. That'll give us time to kind of plug it in and see what it looks like. So after another two turns in the hold, they allowed us to proceed and we ended up landing in Dallas. And it was relatively uneventful. You could tell that the big storm had rolled through and mm -hmm. uh, we ended up landing an hour late. You know, thankfully, our dispatcher uh, did a good job in planning and giving us the fuel that we needed for all these contingencies. Yeah. And up yeah. until we were on with approach, we were still talking about which alternate was best. It was one of the yeah. busiest flights I've, I've done in a while. Wow. Um, and those, that's the way those flights go. You're constantly calculating yep. fuel. You're constantly calculating right. weather and routing and, you know, yeah, how many people. You're where you're going to bug out to and, exactly. and uh, bingo fuel and, you know. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of times, a lot of the the biggest factor is is especially when you get closer to the weather is when you have to divert. Sometimes the divert is back through the weather, <laughs> right. which is something you don't want to do. Um, and you you're trying to avoid the weather altogether anyway. So why would you divert through the weather? So sometimes the uh, the alternates that the dispatcher um, plans on your flight plan is exactly that. It's just a plan. It's something that you legally have to have in writing and calculated out fuel purposes and all that stuff with notams and everything just for a plan. But once you get going, um, your plan may have to change to, for the, you know, to, to have the safest course of action. So yeah. all the way in, we're like, okay, this is now the ne the next best place to divert to. And, and even then, you know, even the, I mean, you can go on and on with this, you know, your divert location, that's on your flight plan may not be the best place to go now because of saturation. Mm -hmm. They may have already received a lot of divert aircraft. And if you just fly in there and divert in there for gas or whatever, you, you may overload the station and then you just create more problems, not only for you, but for the station. So yeah. How many times did we see that when we were at the Sandpiper <laughs> at Abilene's your alternate, you land and there's yeah. like 15 airplanes and 15 Abilene aircraft. One jet bridge. Gas and, <laughs> yeah. One jet bridge and only like five people to work, uh, all the airplanes. Right. So it's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> you, like, like you said, it's, it's a planning, you know, it's all about what do I have enough? to legally satisfy all the regulations that require me to have an alternate when I need an alternate, uh, the whole three, two, one rule, the whole, you know, yeah. is it a, is it a precision approach or non-precision? How many, right. you know, right. so yeah, you had go through all the regs and all the, all the specs and now you're legal, but whenever you're planning these things, it's always, do I have enough fuel to go from my departure to my arrival destination? Uh, and then, from there, shoot an approach, go missed, go to an alternate from your destination airport to your alternate, and then plan on landing with 45 minutes of reserve fuel. Planning on. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have 45 minutes of reserve fuel when you land. It just means that's the way Planned. it works out on paper. But like you said, if the weather is between you and the alternate, one, that's not a good alternate, okay? Sometimes that's why you have two alternates. Um, but because we were rerouted, we were originally going to go hundreds of miles south of Dallas to come up south of the weather. So we were going to do this southern route to the Gulf of Mexico, make a sharp left turn and go straight north to Dallas. And our alternate was going to be uh, north. 
I believe it was uh, somewhere around Little Rock, maybe. And uh, of course, the weather moved in and the south route got closed off and we ended up having a route going north. Which now Little Rock was to the north and it's okay, I don't have to go through weather to get there. But then by the time we ended up holding west of the airport and then going south again, so Little Rock was not going to work. So we were constantly... (laughs) you know Updated. changing or going to go to austin no everybody's going to go to austin well maybe we can go to houston uh i don't know can we you know so do we have enough fuel so it's constant constant work the best close divert point that i learned it's not a lot of legacy guys know this oh, it's a secret Fort hood colleen texas colleen texas <laughs> okay don't tell anybody colleen texas. Colleen, texas go there yeah do they have long runways there are they good 10,000 foot long runway. Oh, yeah, score. And, you know, it's a, it's a Eagle station, uh, you know. So they just come out there with air stairs mm-hmm. and a fuel truck, and you're in and out in like 30 minutes. Nice. Kind of like a quick turn at, at Sandpiper. Yep, I got to write this down. Awesome, because nobody goes there, because everybody's going to, you know, Austin, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Tulsa. <laughs> yep. Yeah, perfect. It's probably a legal refueling point for, for the uh, aircraft you're on for the yeah. Airbus. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to check that. But yep. So yep. that's that's why I ended up in Charlotte. Well, I didn't really explain why did I not go to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Well, because like you said, I timed out. We overblocked by over an hour, making it illegal hmm. for FAR one seventeen with flight duty time restrictions to go. Yeah. So they pulled the pilots off of the Charlotte flight, put them on the Puerto Rico flight, and now here I am in Charlotte. But it gets better because my captain's not with me. My captain went to the short layover hotel, and I came to the long layover hotel. Why? (laughs) Because he deadheaded to Phoenix this morning at 8 o'clock this morning, and I'm here until 8 o'clock tonight because I'm (laughs) flying to Phoenix at 8 o'clock tonight where I'm actually flying the leg. So then when I get to Phoenix, he will have been downtown at the long layover having a good time and probably having a, you know, some tacos and margaritas himself. And I will have been flying and I do the short layover. So, yeah, uh, we're going to end up meeting at the airport for tomorrow evening's uh, flight to Maui. Mm. So, nice. yeah, sometimes, you know, they split you up because the needs of the company come before the needs of the crew. And that's, right. that's why I'm here. That's it. You got to be flexible and changes will happen. And sometimes, uh, you know, you just need to remain flexible in your schedule and your thought process and um, be ready to uh, just adapt and overcome. Yeah. And uh, hopefully in the, on the, by the fifth day, you'll be home. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've learned early on, uh, the way I figure it is, you know, sometimes you make plans and you get disappointed when those plans change. And for some people, their personality is not unlike my own. Uh, I don't yeah. like surprises. <laughs> I like to have yeah, things kind of planned out. So, I mean, I brought particular outfits for overnights and weather. You know, this right. time of year, it's not too bad. It's warm everywhere. But, um, you know, if you end up in subarctic temperature and all you have are board shorts and flip flops, that could be a problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I kind of roll with it because I figure from the moment I sign in for my trip to the moment I'm supposed to be, you know, done, uh, what, as long as you give me a warm bed and, and night and, you know, don't overwork me too much, uh, that's fine. Yeah. You know, the needs yeah. of the company, I get it. I get it. 
Yeah. I take, for example, the intro, you know, when I gave you the story about the, my Guadalajara um, experience, you know, that was only supposed to be a two day trip for me. So mm. spending three days was, you know, right into my days off. So, but, you know, being with experience, you know, you realize, you know, you pack, you know, you're going on a two day trip, you pack for three, <laughs> just yeah. in case, especially if you know, there's weather coming. Um, so, you know, four days, I always have enough stuff for minimum four, maybe five. Yeah. You know, just, just in case, uh, something happens. Well, you uh, got to wear, you know, if you run out, you can wear your underwear inside out. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so I wear the tagless one so that it doesn't matter which way it goes. The ah, tag's always... ah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> All right, moving on. Moving on. So <laughs> what I wanted to talk about today was, it was something that uh, recently, for whatever reason, um, came up. And uh, I had a conversation with someone about what noise abatement procedures are. Now, when you're flying general aviation, you know, noise abatement procedures could be relatively minor, like, you know, fly certain heading and avoid the golf course or avoid a housing development because mm -hmm. of the noise that your aircraft makes. So you have to, the airport will have a charted noise abatement procedure. Uh, usually, what is that, on the back of the 10-9 or somewhere around there, they usually have a, an ODP procedure. Optional departure. Yep. Yeah. Um, so... Usually a noise abatement procedure is defined there or maybe in an extra page. However, when you're flying jet aircraft or airlines uh, or corporate jets, there's usually a procedure for you that may not be charted. And you'll just see something like a sign on the taxi out that says all aircraft, all jet aircraft must follow NADP1 procedures. And you look at each other and go, uh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and this happened to us uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, at, the, at that uh, particular trip, I remember I was flying with actually one of our previous uh, featured guests. Um, and uh, it was actually Captain Ash who I was flying with. And I think we were in Austin, if I, my memory serves me correctly. And taxiing out in Austin from the terminal to, I believe it was 3-6 left, and uh, taxiing on Taxiway Charlie, and we were going through our flow procedures, and there's a point where the first officer has his head and eyes in the cockpit because the captain's doing the flight control check. And the captain, his eyes are outside because it's usually during a taxi period, especially in VFR. There's no reason to stop the airplane to do this. It was a long taxi, so he's taxiing the airplane, and he's manipulating the flight controls, and I have my responses, you know, full up, full down, full left, full right. And so my eyes are really in the cockpit, but something caught my eye. Something in my peripheral caught my hmm. eye. It was a big yellow sign. It was right there on the right side of the taxiway, and it said, all jet aircraft must follow NADP-1 procedures. And I go huh and of course yeah. that raised the little red flag in my captain's ear and he goes wait what and i'm like well let's finish the checklist and i'll and I'll, I'll say okay so we finished the checklist and i said i saw a sign back there that said all jet aircraft must follow nadp1 procedures he's like really so we immediately looked into our company ops pages 
of our Jeppesen app. And that's mm-hmm. where the company has all the procedures that uh, they want you to follow for whatever particular aircraft you're in or potentially just general procedures that they want you to follow. Las Vegas is one such airport where if you're departing in Las Vegas, it used to be uh, all jet aircraft had to follow a very specific NADP-1 procedure that the company had outlined where your mm-hmm. thrust reduction altitude was much higher than usual. It's actually double. Three, you know, uh, I believe it was 3,000 feet over the field instead of the 1,500 or 1,000, depending on the procedure. So uh, you had to follow this particular procedure. Now in Las Vegas, that only applies on particular departures. Uh, Actually, I think just one departure that requires this special procedure. So uh, we both kind of looked at each other and said, well, I don't see anything in the company flight ops pages indicating that there's anything other than the standard procedure, the normal noise abatement procedure, which is NADP2, which has a thrust reduction of 1,000 feet above field level. So once you reach 1,000 feet above field level, you go from your takeoff thrust setting to your climb thrust setting. And in our case on the Airbus, it's either going to be set... uh, toga or set flex flex being the the reduced thrust Mm -hmm. takeoff which is what we try to do almost every single time because it reduces the engine wear and puts less stress on all the components associated with it yeah so yeah real quick let's let's make sure the listeners understand you know when we we depart airports nine times out of ten we're not using a hundred percent thrust from the engine we're we're using a reduced thrust setting because number one, depending on our weight and runway length and depart uh, obstacles and departure corridor of the airport, we don't need to have a hundred percent thrust to get off the runway. We can use eighty percent or you know ninety percent, depending on what the what the uh, performance calculations are. So what uh, Aviator Tony's referring to is basically. We'll use that reduced thrust to conserve uh, fuel, wear and tear on the engine, and also noise. You know, we just don't need to, you know, make all that noise on takeoff every single time. Right. So, continue. Yes, thank you. Uh, and, and so that's that's what the whole thrust reduction takeoff or the reduced thrust takeoff is. Now, if yeah. you're dealing with noise abatement, meaning there are residential communities around the airport. What you would think would be quieter is just to do a reduced thrust takeoff and then get the heck out of there, but that's not necessarily the case. What the studies have found over the years is that the more altitude the aircraft has closer into the airport, then when it reduces thrust, it's higher up and closer into the airport before it reduces that thrust, and therefore, as it's climbing out, it's quieter. Yeah, okay? exactly. And if there's an engineer that can explain this a little bit more uh, technically, <laughs> then by all means, <laughs> send us a, an audio feedback. Um, but so I saw this on the taxi out, and the captain goes, well, I didn't see that sign, and I don't see anything here. So I, I, I not that I don't believe you, but I mean... What the, what's going on? So as we were taxiing, as we got closer to the last 
500 feet of the taxiway before uh, holding short of the uh, departure or the, the, the hold short line mm-hmm. at the threshold, there was another sign. Same thing. Yeah. All jets must use NADP-1 procedures. And the captain goes, oh, okay. So he immediately goes down into the, what we call the FMGC or the, the display panel for the mm-hmm. flight management system. And he immediately goes into the performance page and changes it from thrust reduction uh, and acceleration altitude to 1,500 feet instead of 1,000 feet above field level. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, what, what, how did you know to do that? I mean, because I know Vegas says, you know, it's 3,000 feet. And he goes, oh, right. well, let's, let's take off. And then, well, he goes, we're not going to hurt anything by doing this. Let's just take off and we'll look for it where it says in the manuals. And most of that flight, oh. we were looking for it and we, though, we couldn't find it. Um, oh, really? But we finally did. And where <laughs> we found it is in a place that most professional pilots, even to this day, have a hard time finding anything in there because in the old days when we had kit bags with paper manuals we usually had three fat binders all right the brown right. jeppesen binders right two of them were our jep charts where we had all our approaches and and arrivals and all that stuff right. and then the third binder was the airways manual and this mm-hmm. had all like all the airport uh what the signs mean at the airport all the rules for departures (laughs) and holdings and i mean it's basically like how to fly but just not for dummies i mean this is a very very technical very (laughs) you know compacted uh information into a pretty small space so we ended up finding it and the way we found it was we went through a button on our efb in the jet app called pubs publications Mm -hmm. okay uh from there we ended up clicking on the airway manual tab we found the general tab and we started scrolling through it now the pain in the arse with this is that there is no search feature in the jeppesen app right that we found at least would be nice but no. would be nice so because i we knew we were going to talk about this today last night I decided to find that page, ladies and gentlemen, that's on page 1094, where it starts talking about noise abatement procedures. It's document 8168. And on a little bit further down on page 1102, (laughs) it talks about NADP1 or A and NADP2 or B. So let's talk about it. Okay. Crazy thing is I'm trying to find it right now and I'm having a hard time. <laughs> so go to, are you on your pubs? Yeah. Go back to the publications, okay. click on okay. company manuals. Company manuals, check. Click on Jepson Airway Manual General. General, check. Oh, okay. okay. And then now, find all the way to scroll 1, up one page and then you'll see the little cursor on the right. Tap on the cursor on the right until it gets big. And then you can use it as a scroll bar. Got it. And then the, and yeah, one, one, zero, four. Pretty sensitive. Yeah, no kidding. So when you get 194, one, 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 zero, two is one, one, zero, two. Okay. Yeah. That's the. All right. 
So 1094 is where the flight procedures document 8168 noise abatement procedures starts. This is extracted from the ICAO document 8168. So what is ICAO? International Civil Aviation Association. This is kind of like the international version of the FARs or the AIM. Okay. And so what they talk about here is what noise abatement is. It gives definitions. It gives the noise preferential runway routes information. Um, so it, it really just explains why these procedures are in effect and when to use them. Talks about weather, talks about obstacles, and the type of aircraft that would follow these procedures. As we mentioned, uh, currently on this whatever revision is here as of today, um, page 1102 uh, is entitled Flight Procedures for Noise Abatement, and it talks about Procedure A and B. Mm -hmm. So Procedure A uh, talks about when you take off, from takeoff to 450 meters, in other words, 1,500 feet above aerodrome elevation, that's when you would use takeoff power and takeoff flaps. You would climb at V2 plus 20 to 40 kilometers per hour, which is V2 plus 10 knots to V2 plus 20 knots, or as limited by the body angle. At 450 meters or 1,500 feet, then you would do a reduced thrust to not less than climb power thrust. And you would climb out at V2 plus 10 to 20 knots. Then at 3,000 feet, you would accelerate smoothly to your in-route climb speed with flap retraction on schedule. And they even have a beautiful little graph here. So this yep. is not what we normally do. No. NADPA or NADP1, depending on your company's definition of it, uh, is a procedure that is non-standard. And it is for noise abatement. And when you look at the graph, you can see what you're doing is you're climbing almost like VX and VY in general aviation. You're climbing out basically at like VX, right? So you're getting yeah. altitude as fast as possible with a lower ground speed and therefore you're getting higher, less distance away from the airport. That way, when you finally get to flap retraction speed, you're not as far away from the airport. And you're higher. And you're higher, right? So you're, you're not making as much noise down low. Right. NADPB procedures or NADP2, depending on your company, is also on that page. And it explains that this is the normal noise abatement procedure. And it would be takeoff thrust to 1,000 feet above aerodrome elevation and take off flaps and whatnot and the climb and the V-speeds. So it kind of talks about it. It also says that for high bypass ratio engines, reduce the normal climb thrust after 1,000 feet. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Captain Ash looked at the sign and within one second was like, oh, <laughs> oh, let me just pop, 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 change that on here. Now... This could change depending on the company's particular uh, procedure for that particular airport and that particular aircraft. Mm -hmm. It could be from 1,000 feet to 3,000 feet for normal, and it could be 1,500 feet to 3,500 feet for, or 1,500 feet to 3,000 feet for the NADPA. Right. Now, now that you've heard all this technical jargon and we're probably 
got crickets going on here for most of our listeners. <laughs> but why does this yeah. matter? Well, we've been talking about noise and noisy walkarounds and noisy cockpits and how, you know, mm-hmm. this loud noises and the volume inside airports is very fatiguing and all these things and wear ear protection. And we were kind of on a roll with this and we're still moving strong, yeah. but we thought we'd talk about the noise abatement procedures a little bit as well. Hopefully, all of you have gotten at least some kind of knowledge out of it. Yeah. And also, if you want to be friendly neighbors to uh, your your uh, airport neighbors, you know what I mean? Uh, if you're flying in and out of these airports, uh, one of the biggest problems with airports and communities is noise. Uh, a lot of uh, communities that live around airports really, really object to you know, the aircraft flying over their houses and stuff just because of the noise. We can reduce the noise. Um, we can become better or more friendlier <laughs> in their in their eyes and um, hopefully not generate so many noise complaints. Um, so these procedures are all implemented at noise-sensitive area airports so that um, we can become better neighbors and uh, friendlier operators in these in, at these airports John Wayne's uh, Orange County Airport is a, another popular noise abatement area where we have to uh, Use those exact procedures as you talked about to, uh, you know, leave the runway, get as high and as fast as we can, and then we'll have our thrust reduction. And a lot of passengers that that have never experienced that before, it's sometimes it's startling to them because they think that the engines just quit <laughs> because of the amount of thrust reduction, especially on our plane. I mean, it's very very. Um, aggressive as far as the power and the rotation the deck angle and then once we get to our 3,000 feet we have that thrust reduction and that's when we start retracting the flaps so the engines come back the noise uh, the decibel levels go way down and then you almost have that sinking feeling or like falling out of the sky feeling because of the deck angle changing as well as the flaps uh you know, flaps retracting so the you know everything you're going from an extreme angle and the climb and the acceleration um in at, with the with the ascent and then pretty much leveling off so you have that feeling and then the flaps retracting and there's a sensation that's always associated with the flaps retracting and and then the the power reduction it's quite it's quite aggressive and it's not normal and uh so sometimes uh uh your captain will make that PA to the passengers, letting them know, hey, this is what's going to happen. It's not normal, um, but it's something that's uh, that we're doing uh, for the procedure, and it's where <laughs> everything's going to be just fine. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember hearing about it, and maybe you can clear it up a little bit. Is it true that the 737 has a specific takeoff thrust rating for Orange County? That's right. It's a thrust rating that we only use for Orange County, and it's the uh, we call it a 27k bump. So normally, 
our uh, normal departures use anywhere from 22, 24, or 26K, or 26,000, 24,000, or 22,000 pounds of thrust um, per engine. <laughs> Uh, for for the departure and then like we talked about a little bit earlier in the episode where we use a little bit more reduced thrust from those values depending on the performance um, because john wayne and orange john wayne orange county airport is such a noise sensitive area and the runway is extremely short we use the maximum thrust available from the engine so we use this thrust setting that is designed specifically for this situation and it's 27,000 pounds of thrust and it's the maximum thrust that these um cf uh, uh 50 what is it cf 56-7 engines <laughs> can produce um and it's quite it's it's awesome it's really cool and we use our maximum flap setting for takeoff which is flaps 25 um, so uh, that is, uh, it's the plane just jumps off the runway. I mean, it, you're, you're accelerating through 120, 130 knots, and you can feel it in the controls. It is light, and you're pretty much going to rotate at that at, at our speed anyway. But hey, when you rotate and you've set the deck angle for the climb out, you're right at or just above 20 degrees deck attitude. Wow on the climb out and this thing is just and it's just accelerating like it just wants to go <laughs> it's so much fun um and then at like like we talked about at three thousand feet that's where the the thrust reduction comes in and you watch the thrust levers because a uh, 737 the thrust levers move <laughs> as opposed to the airbus actually i think you guys obviously now that i'm learning you have to move it back to whatever mct or whatever it is yeah, it's just climber. one click or two clicks uh, one it click, would be yeah, a, whatever detail climb. you have yeah yeah, so the seven three seven, it's the auto throttles actually move automatically, and you watch them come back from, you know, the firewall right up to the <laughs> the maximum forward position, to yeah, it's about three quarters of the way back because and you're and you realize wow, that's 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 a lot of thrust reduction there, um, and you know everything gets quiet and you, you feel that sensation, everything's going forward and and like you're almost sinking out of the sky, and then. We start retracting the flaps and the plane's accelerating and and it's 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 a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun for us. But, you know, the, uh, there's a secret that uh and, and I have not experienced this yet, but the Airbus, the 321 and some other models as well, a select few models of the Airbus that we have out on the line at Legacy have something called thrust bump. So there's uh there's some guarded That's probably the CF uh 56 this, motors. Maybe. I believe that they are the same, same terminology that we have. Yeah. So there's some buttons on the thrust levers and they're guarded and you're only allowed to use them when directed by the performance numbers and your dispatcher. You're Sweet. not allowed to use them any other time. Right. Um, every time you use thrust bump, uh, it does reduce, uh, I think the life of the engine and they have to do checks sooner. So you have a limited number of thrust bumps per life of that engine yeah so when you're in need to for this extra performance after engine start after both engines start that's very important you would press one of the thrust bump buttons on the thrust levers 
and you would get this extra power. Um, but then that's one hash mark on that engine, your, your limited yeah. number. Um, I've not had the opportunity to do that yet. I've learned about it uh, through training. You're going to learn about it yourself. Um, so there, the Airbus does have something similar. Um, yeah. I don't know the, this very detail specifics as you do. Um, I was, yeah. while you were talking about that story about Santa Ana, I was looking through our company ops pages and I did find uh, exactly what you're saying for the 737NG takeoff on runway two left or two zero right. And it mm -hmm. talks about the 27K and how to do it and how to enter it. And that's really interesting, really cool. Uh, yeah. And have you had a chance to, to actually do that takeoff? Yeah, we did it. Um, I, I'd have to look back at my schedule. But yeah, we had to do that a couple weeks ago. And nice. um, yeah, and I had, it was my leg and we were the Czech airmen also. So that made it all that more, much more fun because, you know, this is one of the, um, one of the profiles we train in, in, in the schoolhouse, which is the landing and departure out of uh, Orange County um, because of the specific performance requirements they just want to make sure we're, we're getting it right every time yeah. which is something we have to do every time anyway <laughs> but 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 because this is such a uh uh a rarity and and in in the essence of of setting up the uh the fmc and the box and everything like that and the flap settings um they wanted to make sure we get it right so just doing it with a check airman was was all that much more not i wouldn't say reassuring but uh just fun because you know you do it with them in the in the in the schoolhouse in, in the simulator but now we're out here on the line and it's like hey you know we've done this many times before in the, in the simulator let's uh let's do it in real life and you know i've done it three or four times before this year with other pilots but uh just being with a czech airman was that much more fun yeah to talk about it a lot more and everything like that but that actually totally irrelevant to the conversation but um it happened to happen. It happened. You can listen to me. It happened to happen. Happy, 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 happen. <laughs> it happened with that Czech Airman going into Orange County, where um, because of the fuel prices we've experienced lately, we had a lot of ferry fuel oh, going yeah. into Orange County. Mm -hmm. Right. So when we landed, we had a I think eleven thousand pounds of ferry fuel oh, on wow. the plane, and we experienced cold soaked fuel frost. Mm. So when we landed, the whole underside and the whole um, top of the wing was frosted. Oh, I mean, it's like 80 degrees outside yeah. and the wing is just covered in frost. And so and it was outside of our parameters for being able to depart without having to get de-iced. <laughs> so luckily, I think we had about an hour and a half, um, you know, sit time over there and they came in and they refueled the airplane early. And of course, that warmer fuel getting into the wings and in conjunction with the sun melted all of the uh, frost off the wing. But if we had, we would have had a normal turn, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, it would have been cutting it close. Yeah. <laughs> we probably would have had to get the ice out there. So. And that's interesting. <laughs> how, how, that's, how did you notice yeah. that the top of the wing had frost? Because we, we land very often where we have yeah. this scenario and the bottom of the wing has frost between the engine nacelle and the wing root. And it's yes. acceptable to have up to one eighth of an inch of, of frost on the bottom side of the wing for this scenario, even though yes. it's like 80 degrees outside, you'll get that. Right. How did you know the top of the wing had frost? 
Well, so in our manuals, um, the they talk about that cold soak fuel frost. And in the manual, it says that if you're doing the walk around and you notice frost um, in this particular situation outside of a certain dips, uh, uh, dipstick, I, I don't forget the technical yeah. term for it, but it's a, a stick that uh, is in the tank for measuring the fuel quantity in a particular tank if, if the normal means is not um, available. Mm -hmm. If there's frost outside of that, of that stick, then there's a good possibility that frost will be on top of the wing. Ah. Um, and then on the 737, I haven't learned this about the Airbus yet, but on the 737, there's actually some markings on the top side of the wing that is for the cold silk fuel frost. If the frost extends outside of those markings, then it it is beyond the limitation of what's acceptable for frost on top of the wing ah. for a cold silk fuel frost. Uh -huh. So we're allowed to have cold silk fuel frost for takeoff as long as that frost is inside of that that box but on a cold winter day if you have frost anywhere <laughs> yeah even inside that box you have to get yeah you know different scenario. So, yeah one of those oh, weird that's, that's interesting i didn't know things. that about the 73 that's uh and so and here's just you said that there are markings on the wing and people often mm -hmm. don't realize everything every marking every sticker every placard yeah, it has a reason. And if you're ever in the, as a passenger walking to the back of the aircraft, I know Airbus has this. I don't know if the, the Boeing has this as well. Somewhere around the middle of the aircraft, there's a red triangle over one of the passenger windows. That red triangle is the window that has the best view for the top of the wing to check the top of the wing for whatever reason, be it frost, snow, de-icing fuel caps whatever um yeah. so yeah i know the Embraer had that as well it had a marking over one of the wings yeah. and that was that was the window that you would look outside so often yeah. back at the sandpiper uh when we were de-iced and we were reaching our uh, hold over time hold over time and, but it stopped precipitating and sometimes uh or the captain would say all right go to the back and check and i would walk right to <laughs> that window look. and the passengers would look at me like why is the pilot out of the cockpit? Get back in your hole. And I'd say, Why sir, can looking you looking at the wings? Can you open up your window shade, please? I need to look outside. And I'd look right out and I could have the best angle, best view to look outside yeah. the window. So yeah, if you're a passenger in the back of a plane, you see a little triangle in your row, that's the best view to see the that top is. of the wing. Yep. Yeah, actually, I don't, uh, I don't know if that's in, in a uh, 737. There may be, but um, that's something that's uh, you use very little. Yeah. <laughs> so, but now that we talked about it, I'm going to see if there is. See, there it is. Planting the seed, yep. make be making and, better. And now that you <laughs> talked about it, when I go to training, I'm going to know exactly what that is. Yep. Be the uh, smart, smart uh, geek in the classroom. Okay. So here's <laughs> here's a, a way to win a, a a beer or a dinner or whatever. So you might be flying when you're on IOE or maybe after, and you're and they'll see that you're new on the aircraft. And you'll have a captain ask you, I bet you a beer. You don't know how many times the Airbus logo appears on our flight deck. And you'll say, yes, I do. What? <laughs> because it appears six I times. Mean, six times? Yep. Every rheostat uh, knob has a circular uh -huh. uh, logo. That's the Airbus logo. Ah, yeah. six. Six. All so right. there's six rheostats in the, in the cockpit of an A320. <laughs> So if he goes, I bet you, I'm going to say, well, what's the bet? Give me something substantial. Yeah, make it big. I'm like, hmm. Look around like, oh, God, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. What's, what's the bet? Uh, dinner? I'll probably get this wrong. So what are we betting on? Yeah. Dinner? 
<laughs> it appears six times right here, right here, right here, right here. <laughs> I'm just going to guess six. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> you know, we, we last, uh, not last show, but a couple shows ago, you and I were talking about how noisy walk arounds can be in our cockpit is and having a good headset yeah. and how it's crucial. And, and we downloaded some apps and we've been uh, toying around with the app and trying to figure out how noisy our environment can be as an aviator and uh i got a chance to to take a couple snapshots here um and i'll and i'll post the photos there i'll put links in the in the notes as well on a walk around on the ramp with the apu running the ground equipment all working you know belt loaders and tugs running after a landing sometimes the brakes get hot we turn on brake fans helps keep them cool uh, I took a snapshot of 108.4 decibels. That's pretty damn loud. That's loud. And I had earplugs in and I was remembering what you said, how back in the Air Force, you were wearing earplugs on top of the cans on top of earplugs because of the double ear protection. That's right. Yeah. And I'm thinking... Maybe I should get a pair of those neon <laughs> cans, <laughs> put them over my ear, and walk around. Look at this yeah. pilot. He's, you know, it's like, oh, I'm <laughs> trying to save my ears. Yep. <laughs> yeah, man. I, 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 I probably should do that myself, and I don't know why I don't. You know, I'm, I'm, um, maybe I just don't want to carry those big things around. Actually, you can get get pretty small. Uh, uh, they they make them smaller. You can, you know, fold them up, put them inside your kit bag, but. Yeah, double earring protection is probably a good idea. I mean, we're only out there for less than five minutes normally on the walk around, but yeah, five minutes, three or four times a day, and then for forty years, forty years. What? That's 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 <laughs> what? Let's just let's just say I, I might have mentioned this before in a previous podcast, but now when I watch some of these movies on my um, living room tv it doesn't have any extra sound system it's just the, the the audio coming out of the flat screen tv um which is not very good to begin with i have to put on closed captioning uh to 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 you know to hear or to read what's going on <laughs> I because do the same. some of these movies you know some of these movies they they talk so quietly or they're <gasps> talking in an accent that it's just very hard to understand to begin with what do you say and yeah and you miss a lot of detail <laughs> And so um, I put the uh, closed captioning on to, uh, <laughs> to to enjoy the movie because other than that, I have the volume at, you know, max volume. And then even then I'm asking my wife, what do they say? What do you say? <laughs> she gets yeah. so upset at me because she's like, I don't know. I didn't hear him either. <laughs> yeah, Usually it's the other way around. So, it's like they ask me what they say. I'm like, don't just read it. You got the closed captioning on. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Fine. Pause. But, rewind. <laughs> you know. Up here, up here in this room here, I have a, a little setup with surround sound and everything, and the audio quality is really, really good. So I can watch most of those movies here and enjoy it because I'm not. It, it comes out really crystal, crystal clear, and it's a nice, quiet. It's not echoey in here, and it's it's a good, you know, setup for a for a movie. So anyway, yeah. Uh, Yep. That's what 12 years of aviation maintenance outside on a flight line around jet engines and, you know, 17 years on the flight line here at Legacy and Sandpiper will get you with your hearing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, protect your hearing. I actually was going to get a headset this week, but my three hour uh, 
<laughs> layover <laughs> in uh, <laughs> three-hour uh, sit time in Dallas turned into forty-five minutes. So yeah, didn't even yep. didn't even get a chance to do that. But so this week, I actually uh, earlier in the week, I I had that five-day trip that ended up, um, as I mentioned on the onset of the show, with yeah. a security situation, um, and I kind of wanted yeah. to walk everyone through how that trip started because it started with a bang as well. So here we are, uh, Los Angeles, boarding an aircraft, getting ready for a early morning departure. It was nice because I could drive to the airport early in the morning. Where were you headed to? We were going to do L.A. to Philadelphia. Okay. And then wow. keep the airplane and then fly Philadelphia to Miami. Same day. Wow. Weather was good. Long day. But, you know... Um, it was doable. You know, we didn't have an aircraft swap. Uh, I had enough time to go grab a bite to eat in Philly. It was nice. And it was the first time flying with this captain and she was great. And we had a great time. We, we hit it off right away. And so here yeah. we are, uh, five minutes prior to shutting the door, about uh, 15 minutes prior to pushback time. And uh, we're running through the route verification in the FMGC, and all of a sudden we get ding, 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 lav smoke. Hmm. And these things happen. It did not really kind of catch either one of us off guard. We both looked at each other like, someone's vaping in the bathroom again, but yep. let's, let's check, you know. So they're boarding. So the flight attendants are kind of at their stations. The, the aircraft aisle is completely full. People are boarding the aircraft. And the number one flight attendant says what's that noise because she heard the 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 very alarming very loud fire bell and we're like lav smoke check the labs and meanwhile you know we go okay lav smoke let's i stand up so i can kind of look over everybody's head from the flight deck look to the back of the airplane and see if i can if i notice that there's a light on the outside of the lab indicator. the indicator yeah. that you know and I knew that there was no one in the first class lavatory because it was uh, unoccupied. Bacon. And so I'm like, I think it's the mid galley. So she picks up, the flight attendant picks up her handset, does an all call and says, someone's either smoking in the lab or, you know, we need to check all the labs. So of course the mid galley lav, there was no one standing right there because the flight attendant that was in that general area was helping a passenger to their seat. And so, and there was no way to swim upstream to get to it. And the aft, the girls in the aft were checking those labs and like, yeah, there's nobody in here. And so we kind of looked at each other and I said, just have her check the lab thoroughly because it's, I think it's the mid galley. And, uh, I think, you know, they have to check the, the garbage can and then all right. the indicators in the lab. And of course, by the time she got there, there was no one in the lab and she checked the lab. It was fine. So someone either did a quick puff of an e-cigarette or a vape or used the lab yep. and then sprayed something, <laughs> cologne or, yeah. you know, some kind of yeah. air freshener. That's a no-no. Kind of Do not yeah. spray aerosols in an airport lavatory because they will set, set off, off the smoke alarm. So, you know, we, there's nothing we could do. We kind of searched the area, you know. I believe there are also prohibited items, anything aerosol that on is an airplane. correct. How they but. get through security, I don't know. Um, but what, what have you. And the funny thing is, I was immediately reminded to two weeks ago 
when mm-hmm. we were mid-flight and the mid-lav fire, lav smoke, you know, fire alarm went off. And the flight attendant knocked on the door and out came this 20-something-year-old girl, all red in the face. And she goes, I wasn't smoking. I wasn't smoking. I swear. I don't, I don't even smoke. I don't even smoke. And she's like, well, what caused the fire alarm to go? She goes, oh, I'm just, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. She's like, well, you got to tell me, what did you do in there? And she's like, I sprayed some Burberry uh, cologne. <laughs> Burberry. Oh, cologne. Bur- Burberry, you know, whatever, <laughs> perfume, uh, which is, you know, a relatively pricely perfume. She's like, you, you can't spray perfume. She's like, I just had a little Burberry spray because I used the bathroom. I, I'm so embarrassed. You know, oh. so I felt bad for her, you know. And, but the captain that I was flying with during that trip said, you know, I need her name. I need her seat number. And I need to know exactly what happened. And the flight attendant's like, nah, she, she was embarrassed. It was nobody. He goes, no, you don't understand. Now, anytime we get a smoke indication in the lab. It records it. It sends it to SOC, Systems Operation Control. They, before we even land, they already know. They already know this happened. Yeah. It's five minutes ago. They already know what happened. We don't even land yet. So we, we need to have, they're going to want me to submit a report of what happened because we're trying to track these things more now because we've had too many of these Hot things topics, yeah. happen. Right. So she was like, oh, am I in trouble? And she's like, no, you're not in trouble, sweetie. You're just, you know, we just have to write a report because it went off and it's an alarm. We had, you know. Just don't spray anything in the lab anymore. <laughs> so lesson learned. Lesson learned, right? <laughs> so uh, don't don't do you know banaka? No, not a good thing. So <laughs> flashback. Um, so that happened a couple of weeks ago. This happened here, and we're like, well, okay, we didn't know who. Nobody fessed up, so continue. But we landed mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. As I mentioned, I got a bite to eat. Got yep. an all new flight attendant crew. You had a Philly cheesesteak. No, I, I stayed away from that. <laughs> I stayed away from that. Um, so we when ended up, actually, yeah. I got, uh, if, you, if you must know, I got a beautiful uh, dragon roll sushi. Oh, ah, cool. Just yeah. saying. Uh, so yeah, about five minutes prior to shutting the door, about 15 minutes prior to pushback, we get ding, 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 loud oh, smoke. No. And we're like, oh, crap. Uh, same airplane. What's the coincidence of this? Which lab yeah. did it come from? And we determined that it was from the mid-galley lav. Again. See, and I was thinking about that. Why? This time, a little bit different. The guy came out in a puff of smoke. (laughs) (laughs) And the flight attendant was standing right there. And she's like, sir, what are you doing? And he's like, what? (laughs) She goes, you cannot cannot vape in there. I wasn't vaping. (laughs) Right. plausible as, deniability as as it comes out in a puff of like theatrical smoke like i wasn't With the vaping. alarm sounding and everything <laughs> right i didn't do it and so the the purser tells us yeah she caught him he was vaping he denies it he lied to her he's off wow yeah well hey you know uh would you rather yeah. have the uh what is it twenty thousand dollar fine or twenty five thousand dollar fine or just or get just kicked get off, off the airplane and take a next fine so but we that's not up to us so we sure. called for the ground security coordinator to come down she was there immediately and she's like uh, what's going on he was vaping in the mid galley uh you might want to talk to him so she goes back there and goes you were vaping in there he's like oh i 
Uh, no, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't vaping, and while his vape stick is right there in his backpack, which he had <laughs> on his shoulder because he knew it was coming. And he's like, "Why is that wrong?" He's <laughs> like, "You just said you weren't. <laughs> Why did you ask if it was wrong?" <laughs> so yeah, he was asked to to leave the aircraft, and uh, uh, and, and we looked at each other and go, "Man, two in a row at the same wow. same time, same, same galley area." And I think what happens is the passengers get on the plane. And they're like, I just need one puff before we go. And they this know. This looks like a great place to go. They know that they're <laughs> like, maybe the flight attendant's not anywhere in the mid galley lav or the mid lav. Because uh, they usually congregate in the back to you know, view the boarding. Yeah. Or they're in the first class galley handing out the little sanitation wipes, right? And I was going to say, and we know none of our passengers read any of the signs or placards that are all over the airplane, especially in the lavatory where there's cigarettes with big crosshairs yeah, all over pictures, right? You can't do it. Yeah. What is that wrong? <laughs> wow. So yeah, this is how the trip started, you know, two in a row, Food. but you know, Hey, whatever we, we, we ended up in Philly and, uh, and then we ended up in Miami and Miami was nice. You know, we got a nice dinner. Uh, I got some, uh, what did I have? I had, I went to the, the daily catch, I think is the name of the restaurant down there just South of the airport. Yeah. Real cool place. It's open. You know, we got to sit down and have a a civilized meal. Um, and, and then the next day we proceeded on to phoenix and uh nothing really to talk about we did a miami to cancun cancun to phoenix a relatively short layover in phoenix again grabbed a a decent meal with my captain and then we were off to lahui the next day phoenix to lahui on day three a uh, nice layover in, in Lahui. I got a beautiful run in, all the typical stuff that you would think. Uh, I didn't really hang out much because I tried to stick to the, my limited quarantine that we have for, for Hawaii. Uh, but I did get some good meals and uh, that I went to go grab food and brought it back to the hotel. It was nice. And here's where the adventure began. Uh, I got my mm. afternoon nap in, got all ready to go. We departed Lahui. Originally, it was supposed to be a 10.30 departure, and everything was relatively quiet, just a typical evening. There was some rain showers that were blowing through, and what got the ball rolling was we were talking about it on the drive over. Lahui Airport Tower closes at 10 p.m. local time, Mm -hmm. so it was going to be an uncontrolled, non-towered airport, and so... Even though we are a CPDLC, the Lahui Airport doesn't have the facilities to manipulate the CPDLC on the ground. And so mm-hmm. we had to do all the things that you would do at a general aviation airport with no tower. You know, you had to do common traffic advisories. It's at night, so you're going to have to go and get your AWOS or ASOS. You're going to have to do pilot-controlled airport lighting. Right. Um, you're going to have to get your clearance from hcf which is honolulu control facility um which is their version of atc and so you have to get your clearance usually five minutes prior to departure so you're already taxing out when you pick up your clearance then you get a hold for release uh, all these things you have to request your altitude you're doing a transoceanic 
flight crossings. You have to request particular altitudes. Now, at that particular time, we had five airplanes all pushing off the gate around the same time in Lahui. Alaska, United, uh, two Americans. One was going to Phoenix. One was going to L.A., which was us. Mm. Well, we were the last ones. So we didn't even get the altitude we wanted. We wanted a higher altitude. It just wasn't available. On that particular day, we were going to be doing the, what they call the Delta Track. And if you look at a, a Pacific Ocean Oceanic Crossing chart, you'll see these tracks, these basically straight highways, you know, Alpha Track, Bravo Track, and so on and so forth. And we were on the Delta Track, and, and the controller said, hey, uh, the altitude you requested is not available on the Delta Track. To say that we had a lot going on, on a, for a particular flight is pretty accurate. And it was relatively uneventful pushback. We started up both engines because it's a relatively short taxi and we wanted both eyes out during the short yeah. taxi and we're taking off at night and it had just finished raining and there was a maximum takeoff, maximum performance takeoff, which is a flaps three, toga power and APU on. So why APU on? For those that don't know, the auxiliary power unit is what powers the aircraft and supplies bleed air to the pack system or the air conditioning heating system so that when you're on the ground and the engines are not running, the aircraft has power and air. And that air is also what starts the engines. That bleed mm -hmm. air is what starts the turbines rotating, turning, and, and then get the engine started. So it's relatively a completely self controlled self-contained procedure here um, to get the airplane going so when you have a takeoff that you're manipulating apu bleed air to control the packs and pressurization system what you're doing is you're not bleeding air off of the engines right. which then gives that engine or those engines all that more available thrust because you're not tapping any energy out of it um, same thing goes with you know other factors and, and situations on the accessories that the engines power. So it's as a maximum takeoff performance. And again, it's because of a short runway, as we discussed with your Santa Ana short runway, maximum takeoff. Now the, uh, the Neos, uh, which is what we're flying out there now don't have this thrust bump thing. It's just not necessary, I guess. So, um, so this is what we were the prepared Neos for. have the leap one motors in it. Leap one. A. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, so we were all, our mind, our minds were, you know, very much focused on what we needed to do and following all the sequential factors to get this airplane in the air safely on course and communicating with ATC. Right. And we had already received our clearance, got the engine started. We just finished doing the flight control check. We're going through our flows and all of a sudden we hear rattling coming from the first class galley now this is a sound that you don't hear very often if they drop a tray or, or a bag cart gets moved we, that's very specific it's a tonk sound this was people yelling and <laughs> oh man and in that split moment we had not moved the aircraft yet and both the captain and i looked at each other and we've been flying together now for four days so we and we've had those experiences as you did in Guadalajara where we hung out together we got a meal together we found out about each other's families and whatnot so I felt very comfortable I looked at her and I was like what the heck is that and she's like oh god it sounds like a, a fight and just then we get the brrr, 
from the <laughs> from the galley and it's the 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 call call from the number one flight attendant and she holds up the the receiver and all we hear are people yelling and fighting yeah and oh, she says geez. there's a fight back here we need to go back to the gate now call the cops call the cops they're fighting this guy is he's trying to open the the l1 door and that <laughs> like every alarm in our heads like went off and we just were all of a sudden we were that moment in time that human factor of what the heck is going on disappeared mm -hmm. and we were both extremely focused she's like i'm going back to the gate call ops let's get the police out here right now so here i am now dialing an ops frequency because i'm already prepared to talk to atc you know i'm, I'm like one step ahead of everything trying to mm -hmm. get us up in the air so i'm dialing back into the ops frequency and i call and i said you know, and they heard it in my voice I was, I was like, Lahui Ops, this is, you know, legacy so-and-so. We are returning to gate four immediately. Call the police. We have a fight in the cabin. Call the police. Give me an ETA when you know. And so she's already moving the airplane forward. The rampers came running out of the building. They parked mm. us. The jet bridge driver's moving the jet bridge. And we're sitting there. The parking brake is set. The captain opens the window and yells out the window to the jet bridge driver, wait until the police are here. Because what we were yeah. afraid that was, because we, we heard everything that was going on because the, the, the number one flight attendant did a sensational job and left the mic open. Nice. And we heard everything. What had ended up happening was, and I'm not going to give you too much detail for privacy purposes, but a passenger that was in the back of the aircraft during the final walkthrough suddenly got up, yelled, I need off this plane now, my daughter, I need to get off this plane now, I need to get off. And he ran from the last row of the aircraft to the front of the aircraft. I need to get off this plane now. He shoved one of the flight attendants that tried to stop him to the ground. Hmm. Four able-bodied passengers got up to try to just get him to stop. That he made it all the way to the first-class galley with four men holding him back. That's wow. how strong this small person was. He wasn't a big guy. Yeah. And they all jumped on top of him. He was trying to open the, the door of the aircraft, wow. which would have then, you know, engines running, Deployed with the slide. slides would have yeah. been deployed not a good situation yeah. so he's he's completely lost it and we could hear all this happening and the flight attendants like speaking into the mic like exactly what's happening and so she tells the jeopardy driver wait till the cops get here because we're afraid that this was going to spill out and somebody was going to get injured because we heard the zip ties going on him this passenger was restrained at that point wow okay the police showed up within 60 seconds nice so you know, we, we shut down the engines, we go through the checklist, and, you know, at one point, my captain gets up to look through the peephole, and I'm like, uh, uh, you know, we're under lockdown, don't right? we're under, yeah. don't, whatever you do, and she's like, I'm just gonna look through the peephole, I'm like, oh, okay, <sighs> okay, so she's looking through the peephole, and she could see the number of bodies just piling up on top of this person. And, Chaos. Uh, sure. And, and, and that at that point, the adrenaline is pumping, the heart's pumping. You're like, what? You know, I'm looking like, where's the crash axe? Uh, you know, I'm ready. 
<laughs> I'm going to defend this cock, but you know, this, no one's coming in here. Right. right. Uh, and, uh, so once the police came and they gave the kind of, they, they arrested this individual, um, they gave the all clear, come to find out that, uh, one of the able body passengers or ABPs was actually bit in the arm. Oh no. Broke skin. Yeah. Very, very unfortunate event. Now, I, I don't know what happened to this individual. Uh, I don't know if drugs were involved or not. That's not for me to say. The point of me telling the story is that you never know at the blink of an eye what could happen. So true. And we sat there a good 30 minutes after we parked at the gate. You know, passengers were informed of what was going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we had interviews to conduct with the police department. The flight attendants were interviewed. The passengers were interviewed. One passenger received first aid. Yeah. Um, this individual wow. was clearly disturbed for whatever yeah. reason. And I actually whatever. feel bad for that person that they, they had to go through that and whatever reason. Um, it, I don't think it was an intentional uh, attack. It was just right. someone who... Had to get Somebody, off the plane yeah. and was mentally not prepared Could, to be there. A phobia or something that kicked in or... Yeah, Who knows? You never know. But you know what? This whole thing kind of brought up something to, uh, brought something to my attention, which it's always a concern for me. And, and luckily, this situation turned out to work out just right for you, which is you had to call the station over the frequency. Um, and not all the time are those frequencies monitored at all these, at, at these, at some of these stations. And that is one of my, that has always been one of my biggest concerns and pet peeves is when the stations don't monitor, uh, the frequency for this exact situation, there's an emergency and we need to get a hold of them. You know, they're only our only lifeline and especially in your particular case, because there was no ATC facility operating on the on the on the field. Um, if you called Air, uh, you know Hawaii Control Center, you know they're gonna. It'll take a lot longer for the, for them to uh, relay all your information to anybody of importance, you know, in that area. Yeah, uh, which would have delayed the whole thing. Um, but thank God, uh, the Hawaii uh, Lahui Ops was. Uh, <laughs> there and listening to the frequency and i've it's happened in at a some a number of our stations where you call for you know whatever operational reason whether it's just you need seatbelt extenders or another um you know safety briefing card or something like that and there's nobody answering yeah. and you're like man you know what if i had a passenger disturbance or something going on and you need to get a hold of somebody to help <laughs> there's nobody there to help you yeah uh and you know that that just adds to the problem and the anxiety and the stress so wow sounds like you did a great job yeah well you thank you grew. you know i i yeah nice i job. appreciated uh how everybody really stayed calm all the all yeah. the uh the employees stayed calm um it was very stressful uh there yeah. were a couple other little um wrenches thrown into the machine into the cogs you know sure. uh we got back to the gate and we ended up with the maintenance item uh because we pushed mm -hmm. off the gate and a maintenance item came up then they had to do another etops verification so contract maintenance mm. who happened to be there um we were the last flight of the night 
So yeah. like you mentioned, you know, those employees could have been clocking out, going home. We were very lucky it happened when it did. We we're very lucky it happened on the ground. Sure. Um, once yeah. airborne, you're not going back to Lahui. You're going yeah. to another airport, Honolulu probably Honolulu. Like that, yeah. So there's another 30 minutes of struggling yeah. that dealing that might with the happen, situation. Right. Um, now, in, we joked afterwards, we're like, oh, you know, I looked at the captain after we kind of all got settled. We actually ended up pushing off the gate again the second time, about 50 minutes behind schedule. So mm. not bad. Not yeah, bad at all. Um, you know, and she did a phenomenal job giving the customers information of what was going on and kind of like bringing everybody, you know, calming everyone down uh, with, with what happened with, by giving them just the facts of what has happened and what we're going to do. And, and everybody kind of like people got up, but nobody really panicked about the whole situation. Nobody yeah. said, Oh, well off this plane, which kind of sometimes happens when there's a disturbance. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we ended up doing our, you know, hold for release. We ended up, doing the toga takeoff with the APU running a flaps three departure, wow. uh, you know, got in route. And once we got up to altitude, I said, you know, thank God that that happened on the ground and not oh, man. in the air or yeah. better yet yeah. in the air at 12 o'clock in the, in the morning of... over the ocean yeah. with the three hours or two hours to get back to wherever you're nowhere to go, <laughs> turn around, go yeah. back to Honolulu or something. Um, and she's like, yeah, she goes, but if it would have happened like right at departure time, uh, we would have diverted to Honolulu and then we would have been done because we're only legal for one leg going to doing these trips. <laughs> we could have had another night yeah. in Honolulu. I was like, well, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> on the brighter side. <laughs> yeah, I always look on the bright side, you know? Uh, but yeah, I don't know so if you noticed though, um, along the same lines of what you're talking about, there's been, um, an uptick in, uh, the industry lately with, uh, disturbances on aircraft, uh, mostly pertaining to the wearing of masks. Um, I've seen a couple of uh, social media posts where passengers are getting removed for whatever reason. Most most of them are because they aren't wearing masks. Um, and you know the the uh, FAA is it the FAA or the, the, the FAA and the NTSB both have NTSB have put regulations out. Yeah, yeah. regulation or. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a regulation, but it's a uh, presidential order, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, it's it's being enforced by the FAA and the and the TSA. They have to wear masks not only in on the airports but in the airplanes during the plane during the, the uh, boarding, throughout the flight, and when you deplane. Yes, and, and um, yeah, our passenger, our they're, captains they're, have to read that uh, mandatory PA now too. Yeah. Yeah mandatory PA. And I've seen on one of the uh, news articles recently, which I, I should probably uh, dig it up and send it to you, where they're going to, uh, the FAA is imposing a fine on one of the individuals that was removed for the disturbance of not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's like $50,000. So this, they're, wow, they're, they're actually going to go through with it. So um, yeah, folks, please wear your mask still, even though the CDC came out a few days ago and said, hey, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. You can socialize and be less than six feet apart. Um, you know, all that stuff, which it's free world. You can do whatever you want. But when you're in an airplane, <laughs> we're in an airport. It's something we all have to do. Just cooperate and graduate. Sooner or later, this whole thing will be done with. But um, for now, airplanes, airports, wear a mask. We all do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do yeah. it. It's, you Please. know, 
I, I totally get it. You know, hey, we don't have to wear the mask. Uh, the CDC says if we've been fully vaccinated, we don't have to wear the mask. But according to all the powers that be, you still have to wear the mask, like Rob said, on the airplane and at the airport. Um, and the mandatory PA that the captains have to read um, every flight is tedious. And it's because, yeah. it's, you know, um, it just, it's yeah. something that we have to do. It's the same script. And so what I've recommended to the captains is that they use a uh, feature in the My Comply. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so by using this feature, uh, instead of having to read the same PA over and over again, or some of them make it unique in their own, uh, you can just press this button right here that says speak. Even yeah. though the CDC has issued new guidelines for fully vaccinated individuals, <laughs> federal law still requires each person age two and older to wear a mask that covers their nose and mouth at all times during the flight, including boarding and deplaning. Refusing to wear a mask properly is a violation of federal law and may result in denial of boarding, removal from the aircraft and or financial penalties under federal law. Thank you for your cooperation and please contact your flight <laughs> attendants if you have any questions. So I, I highly recommend That's uh, awesome. having that in your phone. AI. <laughs> and just yeah. be like, and the following, the following is a required awesome. announcement. <laughs> I was going to say, it'd be funny if they, you could change the, uh, the you know, the, the accent of the AI, of the artificial intelligence, you know, to like, you know, a German accent <laughs> or a Russian accent or something. Well, you Chinese could. Chinese accent. You could. That'd be awesome. So take that script, put it, yeah. uh, put it in, a, in, in your iPhone, change mm -hmm. the Siri voice yeah. to, a, to one of the, the selectable accents. There's, I think there's a British voice in there or something else. Yeah. And then say, uh, Siri, read this document and it'll read it. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying cool. it's legal. One crew member, one crew member, uh, one captain that I saw, he actually recorded uh, a voice memo of that PA into his phone. Uh -huh. And and then what he does for the PA is he'll actually just play that voice recording into from his phone into the microphone mm -hmm. as a PA. And you know, he just sits there, he looks at me, and he smiles, and he's like, "This is easy for me because uh, I don't have to read it every time." Right. And, right. And so I thought that was, you know, oh, maybe a I clever, should, ingenious way to do that. Maybe I should work on my voiceover acting and uh, record a couple <laughs> and sell them to captains yeah, around. Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. Your attention, please. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> You've been working at Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 Keep your hands and feet inside the airplane at all times. <laughs> Señoras y señoras, feminists is no smoking in the lavatories. <laughs> yeah, Keep no your vaping. Masks on. <laughs> and if you're gonna have a freak out moment, now's a good time. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I tell you what, Rob, you know, this has been uh, a, a good show. I, I like talking about yeah. these events that have happened and, you know, transitioning that into scenarios and facts about our profession. Uh, I know we talked about the journey of today's aviator, and that's primarily what we do here at Squawk Ident. But I really do like these shows that we that we do together where we talk about. Yeah, me too. The stuff that's going on behind the scenes, behind the curtain yeah yeah it's current events for us it's uh something thing these things we talk about are, are 
I don't know how to put it. They're normal, but they're not normal. You know, things you've you've experienced and you've read about, you heard other people talk about. And it makes you a uh, an all around better person, better aviator. Um, you know, I'm, you talk about this in public with other people, and you come up with better ways to handle things, or you know, you find out things in your ops manual that you didn't know even existed. Yeah. <laughs> so, or the, or for our case, you know, the Jeppesen. Uh, airway manual yeah page 1102 <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what makes it fun you know yeah you you uh you realize that um all your manuals are there for a reason you know some things were written in blood unfortunately uh, and they're there for safety security and um it's fun to talk about surely is that's yeah what makes us that's what makes this career a, uh, a fun career it's always something new. Yeah. And it, it, like uh, Andy said in the last show, actually, you know, always moving, looking forward, looking ahead at what what's next and understanding that there's always a better way to do something. There's always a better technique, Absolutely. you know, and, and I, I believe I said to him uh, during the last show that, yeah, the day I stop learning is the day I'm going to hang it up. And because... Yeah. You know, it'll get boring if just doing the same thing over and over again, reading the same PA over and over again gets boring, you know. But um, yeah. yeah, always finding a new way of doing something is, is really Definitely. the way to do it. Well, I uh, just want to say thank you uh, for listening to the show. Thank you to all the frontline workers, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, EMTs, medical techs, firefighters, law enforcement, grocery store employees, truck drivers, bus drivers, Amazon workers, Uber, Lyft drivers, and of course, all the airline and airport employees that show up every day to work to provide the essential services that we do. Now that the CDC has said, if you get fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask in public or in private or, uh, okay, that's great. But remember, when you're on a flight, going to your favorite vacation destination to go see Nana. Please wear your mask and don't make us turn this airplane around. <laughs> well, we hope you're enjoying Squawk Ident. Please help us out. Make sure to subscribe and follow to the Squawk Ident podcast wherever you listen. And if you wouldn't mind, just spend a moment and write us a review on either Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It does really help us out with our standings in the show. We also appreciate your support and especially your feedback. You can send us audio feedback or comments via our website at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November Yankee.com. And there you can also find the audio archives, photos from the flight line, our Squawk Ident pilot shop, and our guest book photos tab as well. You can contribute to the show financially. Every donation helps us out trust me we've got subscriptions to pay for and equipment and you know a lot of this stuff that goes on behind the scenes and, and every penny does help and uh you know a lot of other shows go they have their coffee fund or the this fund or the beer fund or whatever fund <laughs> and those are great and trust me i'd love to one day have that the opportunity to uh, have a, a beer fund <laughs> Uh, but for now, we're just <laughs> we're just uh, saying if you can help out in any way, uh, we would definitely appreciate it. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram users can find us under the Squawk Ident podcast. And one final thought: just want to say thank you to Rob D for being the host extraordinaire. We were going to have uh, Roger on and possibly Kyle on today. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately for them. They're both flying a very full flight schedule, so 
Uh, so are you. I think I'm the only one at home. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess uh, I guess so. You know. Um, but hey, I'm grateful. Uh, I actually yeah, got to have a meal at the hotel bar last night. I had a you know a great dinner. Got to eat there. Uh, they, they're starting to open up. You know, even at yeah, the hotels. So, yeah, definitely seeing it going in the right direction. Yep. So thanks for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. All right. Take care. <laughs>